Thank you. Thank you, Jason. I'm going to invite you, as is my practice uh, before I preach, to ask you to bow your heads and you take a moment and ask the Lord to speak to you through the message this morning. So you prepare your hearts by simply asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Let's pray together while you do that. Lord, we're asking for your Holy Spirit to come and to help me to preach this passage accurately and truthfully to your intent and why you put it in the scripture for us, and then that we would hear it and that we would then apply it to our lives. So we're asking for your Spirit to come and do that work. And we pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Sometimes it's hard to be different, isn't it? When have you experienced that, being different? when you just kind of want to fit in. Think about that now from our Christian faith standpoint. Sometimes we can feel that as Christians, right? That being under the rule of King Jesus, who has a different standard and different expectations and a different way to see the world, can sometimes make us feel like we just don't fit in. And sometimes we make adjustments in our lives and how we do things because we want to fit in. And, and sometimes it, it just feels like man, I don't know where my place is, and, and I just want to fit in, and, and I don't want to stand and be different than the culture, and yet when I'm under the rule of King Jesus, I'm supposed to be different. And as we've been looking at in this series, we're called to bless the nations. That's what Jesus called, or excuse me, what God called Abraham to do, and the, the covenant that he made with Abraham was that he would be a blessing to all the nations. But sometimes we can feel like we just don't fit in and we feel different. And that's exactly where Israel is finding their, themselves in this passage today. This is where they're at. This is where the people of Israel find themselves in, in, in this point of the thread. They're, they're at a position where they're politically tired and they, they're tired of being ruled over by judges. They're essentially tired, though, and here's the key to all of this. They're tired of being ruled by the reign of God. This is one of the things that, that is happening in this passage. They're not only just saying, hey, we're tired of having these judges who come and go. They're actually kind of saying, I want to be like the rest of the nations. They want a king to rule them, just like the nations around them. It's kind of a strange thing when a whole nation feels like they don't fit in and they want to be like the other nations. Instead of blessing the nations by being under the rule of God and doing things God's way and following God's law, they find themselves wanting to be like the rest of the nations. And, and they want to have a human king. So what they're asking for is they're looking at God and saying, God, we know that you're supposed to rule over us, but we want a, a person. We want a human being. We want somebody in the flesh that stands in front, of, in front of us and leads us. And so they're asking for a king that they can rally around and that they can have as like a, like a token that they can say, hey, look, we have a king like everybody else. And so what we're going to see in this passage today, today is what that really means. Isn't that they just want to fit in like everybody else. They don't want to bless the nations by being under the rule of God. They want to be like the rest of the nations, and they want to do their own thing. And it's going to be really shocking as we kind of take a look at this, because sometimes we can read through a passage and we can look at it so quickly, we fail to see some of the nuances of just what's going on. And this is a really kind of startling passage about how they've already started to go off and do their own thing. 
And remember at the end of the book of Judges, what does it say? Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. They were doing their own thing. But what that really looks like can be really disturbing. So let's take scene one. What I'm going to do today is remind us that this is a narrative and this is a story and that we're supposed to put ourselves in the story to kind of be along with the, the characters and to, to kind of look through their eyes. And so it's, it's a story that's an inspired story and a real story, and it's a story that really happened, and I'm trying to remind us every time we look at these passages that these are real people and real history and real time that God really worked through. And we're supposed to be learning from that and understanding what God's trying to tell us from this real event in history. And so here's what happened, and I'm breaking it into scenes like a, like a play. Sometimes you're trying to break these passages down in ways that we can explain them and understand them, and so we're going to break them into scenes today. And scene one is this, starting in verse one, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. And then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you are old. How would you like that? <laughs> hey, behold, you are old. Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Behold, you are old. Your sons don't walk in your ways. Appoint for us a king. Why? to judge us like all the other nations. So here's Samuel. He's a prophet and a judge. He's the last of the judges, but he's, he has this dual role of both being a prophet and a judge. He's been ruling and guiding Israel, and he's been one of the obedient judges. As we talked about in the book of Judges, it went all over the place. Those who were obedient to God, those who God used, even though they had disobedience in their life, but there's all this stuff going on. Samuel was one of those who was following God who had been a good judge, who had been obedient and leading the people in, in ways that honored God. But now he's getting old, and he seems to want to pass his leadership on to his sons. That's not really how it worked at that time. So Samuel might be taking some things into his own hands here because judges weren't doing that. God was raising up judges when he wanted to raise them up and when he needed them to judge and to rule. But Samuel wanted to pass it down to his sons, and the people would complain because his sons are taking bribes and perverting justice. We could just stop there for a moment. How, how disturbing it is to think about these, these men who are supposed to be judges and possibly even prophets. Now, Samuel wasn't doing this, but his sons were, and they were taking bribes, and, and they were perverting justice. They were, they were making judgments that were false and wrong based on how they were being bribed. And I think just a really practical little side note from that is we should not be surprised when that happens, even in our world today. And we should actually be thinking that that could possibly happen because it's been happening for centuries. And here we see it right here in the Bible. And not to justify it, but for us to say, when I hear like a politician or somebody like that being accused of taking a bribe or, or a judge or somebody like that and perverting justice, we tend to think, not anymore, right? I mean, social media and, you know, law and all of that will catch up to them eventually. No, it happens. Because we see it right here in the Bible. Taking a bribe, perverting justice, doing the wrong thing. Not, not bringing justice into the life of someone when you could. All because somebody was giving you something to make another judgment. That's really disturbing. It should disturb us. 
And in the first scene, the people are going, okay, Samuel, you've done a good job, but your boys, we don't want them to rule over us. You could see why. Because they were taking bribes and they were perverting justice and they weren't, they weren't being ethical and honorable men. But scene two, we find out how Samuel responds to that. And the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. It displeased him. He doesn't seem to be so displeased about how they see his sons, but he is displeased with how they are saying they want a king as opposed to God being their, their king. They want a physical human king. And so he's displeased by this, and he's discouraged. And, and so what does he do? He's upset, he's displeased, and he's discouraged. And here's a good reminder of what we all should do when we find ourselves in that, those places. I don't know if you are there right now, but we've all been at a place where we've been discouraged, maybe displeased by something that's going on around us. You know what Samuel does? He's going to take it to the Lord. It sounds like it's a simple cliche, but that's what he does. It says that he, in, in the next scene, he brings it to the Lord. So he gets this word from the people he's been leading all these years that, that he's getting old, that they don't want his sons to lead. They want a king. He's disturbed by this. He's discouraged. He's displeased. And he's not sure what to do with it. So what does he do? He goes before the Lord. I just love that picture. Because he's going to go before the Lord because who can do something about it? Isn't it funny how, how we do this in our lives where we spend an awful lot of time wrestling and struggling and just mulling over things and forgetting to bring it to the very one that can do something about it? You have a situation in your life that you're trying to figure out how to navigate it and how to do something about it? Stop trying to figure out how to do something about it and ask God to do something about it. And so Samuel comes before the Lord and he prays. And so this is scene three. He's discouraged, he's displeased, he comes before the Lord. And in verse 6, And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to him, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. They have, for they have not rejected you, and this is the key to the text, but they have rejected me from being king over them. He's saying, Samuel, it's not about you, it's about me. They're rejecting me. So go ahead and do what they're asking. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so are also doing to you. They've been doing this from the beginning, now they're doing it to you, Samuel, and they're also doing it to me again. Let me just read that again. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So scene three is the Lord saying, okay, go ahead, give them a king, because they've been doing this, they've been rejecting me ever since I brought them out of Egypt. So go ahead and do it, they're rejecting, not you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. And how are they rejecting him by asking for a king? And this is kind of a theological a brief side note that I think is important for me to explain this morning. Israel had been what we call a theocracy up to this point. A theocracy is they, a rule by God. God was their king. God was their ruler and was working and speaking through people like Moses and through the judges and through other characters throughout the Old Testament up to this point to accomplish his purposes in the lives of his people. But, but he is the one who is ruling over them. And so with a theocracy, and this is the only time we will ever see it, is the rule of God over the people of Israel. 
We're not a theocracy today. You don't see theocracies throughout the world today where you can say, God told me to do this, so I'm going to go to war, or I'm going to go conquer these people. It was only this time in history when God was their king, and God would speak as, as their king to a prophet, to a priest, to, through someone else who would guide the people and direct the people. But God was their ruler. God was their king. And they're rejecting his rule and reign at this point. They're rejecting his timing and saying, we don't want to wait for when you might do this. We're demanding it now. Do you see kind of the picture of what's happening here? They're demanding that God give them a king. Now, it's interesting, back in Deuteronomy 17, God said one day he is going to give them a king. So it wasn't wrong that, uh, that they should be wanting a king at some point. It was wrong to want the king on their timing. Because God was going to rule through a king. But it wasn't going to be yet. He was still on the throne and ruling through the judges and the prophets. And now they're saying, we demand that you rule through a king right now. Listen to Deuteronomy 17. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and they say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. Here they are back in Deuteronomy. God's saying this is what they're going to want to be like all the nations around them. You may indeed set a king over them, whom you, the Lord your God, will choose, over whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you, for he is not your brother. But he's saying, you can put somebody over you, but they were just not doing it on God's timing, and they were rejecting God in the way that they were doing it. But what was really startling is verse 8. According to all the deeds that they have done, what were the deeds that they had done? They had forsaken the Lord, they had served other gods, and now they were rejecting his leaders and his leadership. Take a moment and just, if I've lost you, come on back to me now for a moment. And think of the seriousness of verse 8. We read stuff sometimes so fast that we don't stop and ponder here is what has happened since God has delivered them from Egypt up to this point. This is that cycle that they've been going through. And one of the things that they've done is they've forsaken God. The very God that delivered them, they have simply forsaken him. They have not submitted to his rule or reign. They have not submitted to his law. They have essentially said, we don't want to do it your way, God. They have forsaken the God of the universe. And this is not a little thing. That word forsaken is a big thing. Not submitting to the rule and the reign of God. Looking at God and saying, I believe you're there, God, but I'm going to go do my own thing. I've seen the miracles you've done by getting us out of Egypt, and we have seen the miracles you've done by getting us into the promised land. We've seen the miracles you've done by raising up judges to deliver us from our enemies, but we're still going to do our own thing. We're going to forsake who you are. And then... Not only that, it says they go a step farther. They don't only reject him, but then they serve other gods. This is a real thing. They, they were actually looking at other religions and other at idols and other ways to worship God, false gods, and then they did it. This is kind of hard for us to wrap our heads around sometimes because we don't think that we fall into that. But that's actually what they're doing. They're serving other gods. That's their big downfall. They're going to serve idols, things that are created by people's hands. They're going to make statues, and they're going to 
sacrifice their children even sometimes. They're going to bow down and worship those statues. They're going to serve other gods. We sometimes don't think that that could happen to us, but in, in the missions world, they call it syncretism, where, where you go and you, you reach a people group and they, they, they take their Christian faith and their old religious beliefs and they merge them together. And we sometimes don't think we do that, but we do. We have certain beliefs and certain things from our culture and society, and we merge them together into our Christian faith without even realizing that we are perverting Orthodox Christian faith and we're serving other gods and we're believing wrong things. My wife, was, or my, my wife, my daughter, one day was telling me a story about somebody she was working with that claimed to believe in Christianity but also believed in Buddhism and had Buddhist practices and also believed in Hinduism and had Hindu practices and had put all three of those things together. And she said when she would go to their house and sit down to pray for a meal, it was really kind of confusing because <laughs> they would pray and then they would do some other things and it was this combination of all these things. And what God is saying, when you do that, you're actually serving other gods. And so this isn't just something that happens in the Old Testament. But this is what they were doing. This is why it was all so serious. They were forsaking God. They were actually serving other gods. And they actually were rejecting the rule and reign of God. So God says, give them a king. Go ahead and give them a king because they're rejecting me. They're rejecting you, Samuel. But I want you to warn them. He says, give them a king, but warn them. And this is scene four where he's going to warn them about what a king is going to do. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people. He was saying all those words. He said, hey, listen, you guys. God is telling, uh, t telling you through me that you have rejected him. God is wanting me to tell you that you're serving other gods. And they're like, okay, we don't care. This is shocking when you really stop to see what's happening. So Samuel told them everything that God had just said that we just went over. And then he says... You're asking for a king. Here's the warning that God wants me to give you. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He'll take your sons and appoint them to, be his to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He's going to take your people and make them do these things. He'll take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain of your vineyards and give them to his officers, to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and he'll put them put to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in the day, you will cry out to me. I mean, if you have been with us and think back to what's happened since they have come out of Egypt and all the things that will happen to them in the future, if you know the Old Testament. And here he's saying, you're going to cry out to me just like when you were in slavery in Egypt because these kings are going to do some of the same things. And that day you'll cry out to me because of your king, the one you're asking for. He's going to oppress you. He's going to do all these things. You're going to cry out to me. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. And what he's doing is he's showing the great contrast between God's rule and what he was like as the king and those who are going to rule over them who will be human kings. We and they 
are supposed to be reminded. As we hear this and as they heard it, we're supposed to be reminded of God's loving patience and his provision and his protection over his people. Think of all that God has done for them. His patience and provision and protection, his grace and his mercy, and we're supposed to contrast that with a human king who's ultimately going to oppress them, who will make their sons to serve in his courts, who will make their men serve in his army, who will make their daughters to work in his courts and kitchens and bakeries. He's going to take the best of their possessions. He's going to tax them. He's going to take their servants or their employees and, and their children, and all that's going to be put into his um, wealth system and going to be assets for him so that he could become wealthy. He's going to make you into slaves, he even says. And you're going to eventually cry out to me. <laughs> and I don't mean to laugh, but in scene five, the people said, I don't care. After all of that, and they are supposed to remember all that God had done for them and the mercy and the grace and the provision that he had done and all the protection. And they say, we don't care. We want a king like everybody else. Scene five, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. After all of that, they heard all of it. Put yourself in their shoes. You hear it all, and you say, okay, I'll take it. And God and Samuel are just, okay. Be careful sometimes what we ask for, right? There shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations. This is verse 20, scene five. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Yeah, we don't care. We want somebody who's going to protect us. We want somebody who's going to go out and fight our battles. We just want a king like everybody else. They refuse to hear these words of warning. They refuse to hear the words of life that they could have heard. But they said, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. A king who will judge us and fight our battles like God hadn't been doing that all along. God has been their judge, and God had been fighting their battles, and they missed it. We are so reminded here that often we want things on our terms and according to what we think is best. And when we take control of things, what happens? Any of us with maybe hair my color can probably testify to how many times we've tried to take control of things and how much of a disaster it makes. And some of you with le uh, maybe not my hair color can also say that, right? <laughs> that you've done things and made choices where God was not a part of it, and it turned into a disaster, and you wonder why, and you look at it, and you think, ah, maybe it was because I didn't seek the Lord first. And maybe it was because I didn't say, I want you to rule and reign over this. But we aren't that different than what we see here in this picture, because we sometimes want to take control. We want to do what we think is best instead of letting the rule and reign of God be over us. We come to scene six. Samuel heard all the words of the people. He repeated them in the ears of the Lord. Samuel goes back. Can you imagine how dejected he must feel? This is twice now he's heard these things from the people. He goes back to the Lord, and the Lord said, Obey their voice and make them a king. And the Lord says, give them what they're asking for. Samuel shrugs his shoulders. This is the Lord. The one who's being obedient in all this is Samuel, right? <laughs> Samuel's listening to what the Lord is saying. And he goes back and he gives them a king. The last scene is the scene when he tells all the men of Israel, go back to your cities. I'm going to start working on a king. Can, can, can you kind of see how he must have felt? 
this dejection just personally, and then the de- seeing how people were treating God, and now he's supposed to go find a king. I, I kind of, now I'm, I'm stepping out of scripture here just to hear a little bit. Whenever we do that, I, I'd like to say that. I'm just kind of projecting on how I might feel if I was in Samuel's shoes. I'd feel pretty dejected about that assignment. I'll just go find this guy. <laughs> you know, you just do it. <laughs> I mean, he's a human being. And he's just gone through all of what we've just seen here. And now God has given him one more assignment. He says, go find a king. Send everybody back. Go find a king. Now, what do we do with all of this? Okay? What do we do with this passage? First, I want to remind us that God's design has always been to be a loving, loyal, and benevolent king to his people. Let me say that again. God's design has always been to be a loving, loyal, and benevolent king to his people, to care for them as you would sheep without a shepherd. When I think of Jesus, sometimes I get emotional when I think about that picture. Us all wandering around, smacking our heads into things, falling off cliffs, Man, maybe you've seen that one. I love that one where that, little sh- that sheep is in that ditch. Have you seen that one, that narrow ditch? And this kid grabs his legs, pulls him up with all his might. He goes running down the ditch and jumps right back in. <laughs> you know? And I think of my Jesus looking at me, looking at other people, and he just wants to gather us like a mother hen wants to gather its chicks. And, and he sees us stumbling along, as a sheep who doesn't need to get wrapped over the head, but it needs a shepherd to guide and direct. That's always been God's design from the very beginning when he created Adam and Eve. But God's people have always wanted independence and to call our own shots and to do it our own way. When I say God's people, I mean all the people that he's created, both those that our followers of his and those who are not, we often find ourselves wanting independence and to do things our own way. And that's the tension. That's where we always find ourselves wandering to. And sometimes that we also may be like all the nations. This was never God's goal for Israel or for his church to be like all the nations. God wanted to make them and us to be a special treasure. This is Exodus 19.6. To be a special treasure to me above all people, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He wanted his people to be a special treasure of his. That he would guide and, and direct, and then they would go out and bless the nations. God wanted to make Israel something special. He wanted to bless the world through them. And in asking for a king, they demonstrated that they wanted to be just like everybody else. Not distinct, not different, not a blessing, just like everyone else who is not under the rule and reign of God. Now fast forward to the New Testament, and this is our thread. There is a scene in which, uh, and this is how one commentator put put it, there is a sense, commenting on 1 Samuel 8, there is a sense in which the rejection of God as their king is prophetic. Because when Jesus stood before Pilate, the Jewish mob declared, we have no king but Caesar. John 19. So the same mob says, we have no king, when Jesus is standing right there in their midst. Jesus was a rejected king. And sadly, 2,000 years later, we do some of the same things. 
Sometimes it happens by simply rejecting and not believing that Jesus exists. So sometimes this rejection, we just simply say he doesn't exist. Sometimes we believe that he exists, but we reject any claim that he has in our lives. We reject Jesus. We hear that there's a real Jesus who really died for us, and we really believe that he existed, but we just reject him. And then sometimes we put our faith or trust in Jesus and we've asked him to forgive us and we want eternal life, but we totally reject his kingship. We totally reject his right to rule and reign over our lives. We say, I want the salvation part of it, but I don't want any more of it from there. How does this fit into the thread? And how does this fit into my telling you all the time that I'm a preacher of good news, all right? Because this might feel kind of heavy this morning, but the intent of this is to for us to hear the good news. How does this fit into the thread? The people ask for a human king, but God lets them know that no human king will love them, care for them, or serve them like he does. But he's going to give them an earthly king nonetheless. But this drama is going to point us towards 2 Samuel chapter 7, and you'll have to come back next week to hear that, when God will appoint a king who will, despite his faults and failures, will be called a man after God's own heart. A real king is going to be put into place, and God's going to make a covenant with this king. He's going to make a covenant with King David that one of his descendants will eternally sit on his throne. And next week we're going to see this beautiful picture of this man that God says, hey, you are somebody after my own heart, and I'm going to put you on this throne. You're going to have failures because you're still human, but be through you, the world's going to be blessed, and there's going to be somebody who's going to sit on your throne eternally. This one will be the king of all kings. And this king of kings is giving a king, not like an earthly king described in 1 Samuel, but this king of kings is going to be a king that will come and serve and will give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says this, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many in Matthew 20. So that's what this king is going to be like. And we're getting a picture of how people will reject God's rule and reign. And then God said, I'm going to put somebody on the throne who's going to represent me. And ultimately, I'm going to put the king of kings on the throne. The one who will come in a way that's radically different than how most kings come. And he's going to come and give his life as a ransom for many. And he's going to come as a servant. And he's going to come as a shepherd. Here's the good news this morning. That's a king worth serving. That's a king worth bowing to in worship. That's a king worth trusting to reign over us. If I'm going to have somebody reign over my life, that's a king that I can bow to and say, oh yeah, you're right. I've messed this up, but I trust your rule and reign because I know who you are. And you have come to give your life as a ransom and to serve. So my good news this morning is I simply invite you to let this king rule and reign over your life. Usually I have a lot more application in my messages today. There it is. There's a king worth serving, a king worth bowing to and worship, a king worth trusting to reign over your life, and I invite you to let this king rule. I invite you to let this king reign over your life. All you have to do is ask him to, and he will. All you have to do is acknowledge him and say, I want you to rule and reign over my life. I invite you to that today. 
because he will do it well. He will do it better than you. He will do it better than the kingdoms around us and the society around us. He will do it as a loving and loyal and benevolent and merciful and gracious king. And he will guide you as a sheep, as a shepherd would guide sheep. He will guide you with care and love because that's who he is. I invite you to bow to him today. I'm going to invite you right now to just bow your heads literally and take a moment and listen to what the Lord might be saying to you this morning. I believe that he wants to speak to us despite the frailty of the messenger, that he wants to speak to each of us this morning. And so we just take a moment and just let the Spirit speak to you, and then I'll guide us from there.